Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hi there. A couple of weeks ago we started talking about uh, the fact that we as human beings function best when we live in line with the purpose and for which God created us and how he created us, our nature. And we did that from uh, the first couple of chapters from the book of the book of Genesis. And today I want to continue on that idea a little bit. Um, I heard a saying many years ago, which I found to be quite true, uh, that the misunderstanding of purpose inevitably leads to abuse. In other words, if you misunderstand the purpose of something, you'll end up abusing it, which means that if we misunderstand our purpose, we'll end up abusing ourselves. Uh, and we, we know that's true from experience. For instance, if we, ladies, if you keep on using your shoe to try and hit nails and stuff into the wall, eventually your shoe's going to break because that's not the purpose for which it was created. Um, in other words, if we um, continually use something for, you know, in, in a way that is against its purpose or outside of its purpose, eventually it will break. And the same goes for us. If we continue to function in a way that is outside the purpose for which we were created, and that is against our nature for which God, with which God created us, then eventually we will break. And we see so many broken people in the world because of that, because we as human beings misunderstand our purpose and we end up unintentionally abusing ourselves and abusing one another and we end up breaking. So Genesis 1 verse 1, that famous verse says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the first thing that we need to realize about purpose is that um, our purpose is to represent God or to reflect God but that everything in creation actually reflects God. And we're going to look at that a little bit today. And I'm sure it's going to bless you. And, and, and you're going to, um, yeah, I'm really trusting God that he'll speak to you through this, encourage you through, through this message, and give you a greater level of understanding about yourself through this message uh, so that you don't end up breaking, but instead... Uh, allowing God to to repair what has been broken. Let me just start for us in prayer. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you created us. You created the heavens and the earth. You created everything in it, and you created us. And you know why you created us, what the purpose is for which you created us. And therefore, Lord, we come to you to learn from you and we pray holy spirit that you'll teach us instruct our hearts and please give us understanding lord uh, please help us to to remove misunderstandings about how you created us and what you created us for and please help us lord to to live more in line with the purpose for which you created us in jesus name amen so in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and in that sense we can say that everything in creation to some extent reflects God or at least reflects a, an aspect of God. Uh, we, we know that's true because, for instance, you know, when you look at a building, 
the building reflects something of the builder. Um, and the building actually proves that there is a builder. No one will look at a building and say, oh, you know, uh, what proof is there that, uh, that there's a, a builder? The, the building itself is sufficient proof that there is a builder. Um, a work of art uh, reflects something of the artist. Uh, this painting here behind me was uh, given to us by, by a gifted artist in our congregation, Lenka. Uh, she drew it and, and you can see uh, it says uh, at the bottom, roots become rivers of life. And you can see the this blue uh, ink that looks like both rivers and roots. And she's an artist and I've seen many of her pictures and, and beautiful pictures all kinds of pictures that she that she's drawn and and every picture that she draws reflects something about her there's something inside of her some knowledge some feeling some uh, understanding some revelation some creativity some imagination that gets put into every single uh, work of art every th- single drawing or painting that she does and it's the same for every artist and it's the same for god you know we can look at a painting and say we know there's a painter because, because the painting proves that there's a painter and we can see clear um, signs of design in the painting and therefore there must be a painter who designed it and who actually uh, you know, drew it or painted it. And the same thing can be said about creation. We can see design in creation and we can know therefore that there's a creator who created it and that he created it in such a way that he puts something of himself and is expressing some aspect of himself through creation. Um, and that if we look at creation, we can actually learn a lot about God. Um, one example that I saw that I quite enjoyed uh, that um, Ray Comfort um, once shared was a banana. You can, see, you can see that it was designed for us. You know, Not only did God um, create light because we need to see, not because he needs light to see, he created dry land because we needed to, to walk on. He created um, plants, you know, with fruit that we can eat, like banana trees. Uh, but, he, but he created the banana. He designed it to really fit us so well. If you, if you see, look at the human hand and you look at the banana, the banana has um, sort of a few folds here that fit exactly into the human hand. Every place where I have a, a, a knuckle and a bend in my hand, they're just you know, is sort of a exact fit to my hand f- from the banana. Uh, it's even color-coded. When it's green, it's not ripe. When it's yellow, like this one, it's ripe. When it's black, it's overripe and, and you can't eat it. So so this one is, is yellow. The color-coding tells me that it's, that it's ready to be eaten. It has this handy, nifty little, um, you know, handle here at the top that I can just pull open and the peels... You know, peel, uh, you know, perforate uh, along the lines that God created it with, and it fits nicely over my hand. It's even pointed into my towards my mouth, so that when I take a bite, you know, it, it fits nicely into my mouth. It's it's nice and convenient. It tastes good. It's sweet. It's nutritious. It's wholesome. I can look at that and I can say, that has been designed for me, and well designed for me and therefore there must be a designer behind this part of creation that was designed to fit me so well and um, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said 
you tell the story about a, a boy, four-year-old boy, walking in the park with his parents, and the wind was blowing, really gusting around, and, and you know, he had to sort of close his eyes against the wind, uh, and and his hat, of which he was very proud, was being blown off, and he had to chase after it every now and again, and he was getting really annoyed with the wind. And, um, you know, the trees all around them, you know, the bushes and stuff were, were all like blowing in the wind as the wind was gusting around them. And um, uh, he said to his parents, apparently, uh, Mom, Dad, make the trees stop waving so the wind will stop. So it will stop winding, I think he actually said. <laughs> make the trees stop moving so it will stop winding. And um, he says so many people make that very same mistake that this four-year-old boy made. Uh, he said there are two kinds of people in the world, Chesterton, you know, and he was a he was a journalist. So he traveled around a lot, saw a lot of people, uh, and he had a very keen analytical mind. He said there are two, basically, two kinds of people in the world. People who believe the trees, uh, the wind move, moves the trees, and people who believe the trees move the wind, uh, like that little boy. And that is true. And he says... For most of human history, a vast majority of people believe that the wind moved the tree, moves the trees. But he says in modern history, uh, in modern times, the scales have tipped. And more and more people are actually starting to believe, no, the, the trees actually move the wind. The, the, the things that are seen are all that are, is all that is, is, is real and part of reality. And it causes everything else. Um, so many people will look at... The effects that we see, you know, like the wind, the, the trees moving uh, around. And they say, well, the physical things that we see cause the things that we don't see. And in other words, uh, amongst others, also cause God. That, that we as human beings, for some other reason, have created God. Not that God has created us. But I think Chesterton is right that, that that's a wrong way of looking at the world. We start with a materialistic assumption and say... The trees are real and they move the wind. Um, but I think we, we ought to know better than that. Um, I think when we look at the world carefully, we can see there are clear elements of design. And the invisible God created the visible world. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. And he created it in such a way that he put something of himself in each, an aspect of himself in each part of creation so that it reflects him in some way or another. But human beings are special in many ways um, in the sense that we go beyond just reflecting God. Yes, we do reflect God or aspects of God, but we go, go beyond just reflecting God to actually representing God. In fact, that is the purpose for which he created us. Uh, we read about it. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, they, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, etc. And then it says in verse 27, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and, and, and rule over it. And um, so we see that human beings, as the crown of creation, we go beyond just reflecting God and we actually are called and created in order to represent God. 
to be in his image, to be in his likeness, and to rule uh, in his stead. So, so we can we can reform the world like he did in in the days of creation. We can rule over creation. Uh, we can reproduce. Um, we we can relate like he can, and ultimately, like we spoke about last time, we can rest like he rested when he had completed the work of of creation. And when we look at, at Genesis, now I'm not going to give an exhaustive list here, but I just want to mention a few things that you might not have um, noticed uh, or maybe realized the significance of, which show how God has created mankind in a special way, different from the rest of creation, so that we don't only reflect Him, but actually represent Him. Uh, the first is that God created us with the ability to use language, to to speak and to listen and understand. And one of the places we see this, or maybe the first place we see this, is in Genesis 2 verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. To work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And um, we see here that God commands the man. He puts him in the garden and he commands him. He says, you are free to eat from all the trees of God, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you are not allowed to eat from. And God gives this command expecting the man to be able to understand him. And Adam does understand him. We know that later on because we see that Adam had told Eve this command. And in her discussion in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, with the snake, where he's tempting her, she actually repeats this. So we see that human beings are created. Now, remember, Adam and Eve didn't go through a childhood. They probably didn't have belly buttons because they weren't born physically. They were created. Adam was created out of, out of the dust of the earth, we see in Genesis 2 verse 7. And then God breathed into him the breath of life. So he, he probably didn't have a belly button. He didn't have a childhood. He didn't grow up, you know, with parents, you know, who taught him how to speak. God created him with the ability to speak. And then he taught it to his descendants. And his descendants who were born as babies picked it up from him. But but he was created with the ability not only to to understand God's speech, but to repeat it and to actually speak to his wife Eve, uh, and she could understand him. So in that way, we are different. Animals can also communicate, but animals cannot use the kind of language that we as human beings can use. And that God, in fact, uses when he creates the heavens and the earth. He speaks and he says, God says, let there be light. Let there be. Um, over and over, that verb is used for God and said, and God spoke and God said, let there be. And there was. Uh, in, in, in that way, we, 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 in a much more specific way, reflect God and actually can represent God by speaking like God can speak. But also our ability to speak is limited. Yes, we represent God in our ability to be able to use language the way that He can. But we cannot do with language what God can. Our language cannot create something out of nothing. Um, whereas God, God's language can create something out of nothing. So, so we reflect God up to a point. We reflect God and we represent God without being God. Okay. The next way in which um, we sort of represent God more than the rest of creation is we have freedom of choice 
And we see this in these verses as well, where God says um, to, to Adam in verse 16, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And what we see here is that, that God has given us a freedom of choice. So firstly, he says you are free to eat. But then he says, you are restricted in that freedom. But even that restriction actually shows our freedom because he, he tells us you are not allowed to eat. And we have to make the choice not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whereas um, I think it's Eugene Peterson, the, the writer of the, the message, um, says we often speak about someone, you know, wanting to be as free as a bird, you know, because birds fly in the air and so on. But he says, really, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's inaccurate because birds aren't really free. If you think about it, birds cannot choose not to migrate. When the time comes, when the seasons change, their instincts tell them to migrate and they migrate. There's, when they migrate, there's no choice involved. There's no intentional choice involved. There's no decision that they make. It's just following their instincts. So actually in that sense, birds don't have freedom of choice and they're not really free. So it, it's not really accurate to speak about being as free as a bird because birds, hardly anything they do is free because they don't really have a choice in the matter. But we have freedom of choice. We can actually choose between different options. You know, when, when it gets cold, we don't, we don't have to migrate. We don't have to go to warmer climates. We can choose to stay and just make a fire or, you know, just heat up our houses or wear warmer clothes or, or something like that. So in that sense, also, we, 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 um, we reflect God. But once again, we are limited in the sense that we have freedom of choice, but we're also constrained in our choice and in our ability to exercise those choices. Um, and then another way in which we reflect God in a, in a special way is that we can have knowledge of good and evil. And, um, you know, it's, it's quite funny. I've, I've heard so many atheists and agnostics and skeptics who, who um, don't believe in the Bible say that God said we mustn't eat from the tree of knowledge. You know, as though God and the Bible and Christianity are against knowledge. It's, it's almost embarrassing how many, um, you know skeptics and, and atheists still believe that but it doesn't say that god didn't say to 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 adam and eve do not eat of the tree of knowledge he said do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, in that sense we can know good and evil and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents us taking a step into not only representing God, but trying to be God, trying to decide for ourselves what's good and evil, what's right and wrong. And since we've done that, we've gotten it wrong. So often we have called good evil and evil good. And if you look around in the news, you'll see that. You'll see good being called evil and evil being called good. And even pressure being put on many people to do evil because it's represented as good and it's thought to be good. Um, and all the evil, all the oppression in the world, all the, the harm, the hurt, um, the cruelty in the world comes from us as human beings taking upon ourselves to decide for ourselves what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, and getting it wrong so often. So 
we have the ability to know good and evil but unfortunately we don't like God have the ability to avoid evil God can know evil without um, without being caught up in it without being trapped by it without committing it but once we know evil as humanity and human history confirms this over and over again once we know evil we we can almost cannot help ourselves from falling into it and then another way in which uh, you know mankind is special and represents god in a special way it says god created the heavens and the earth and last time i mentioned that um, creation happens on two levels the the material and the immaterial the visible and the invisible the physical and the spiritual and mankind is the only part of creation that bridges those two dimensions that sort of straddles those dimensions that's created in both dimensions and we see this uh, when when um, in Genesis 2 verse 7 when God creates the man it says then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground physical um, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life spiritual the, the word the Hebrew word for for breath and wind is the same as the word for spirit ruach um, and and the man became a living being and so in that sense also mankind is special and specifically and specially represents God because we created not only physically like the rest of creation but also spiritually so that we can represent God with spirit. And we see the same thing in the New Testament. You know, Paul talks, in, for instance, in Ephesians 1 and 2 about the fact that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now he's, he's speaking, he says, to the church in Ephesus. You know, to the believers, the faithful believers in Ephesus. So, so he says, you are physically in Ephesus, but in a very real sense, spiritually, you are seated in Christ in heavenly places. So you... you you're sort of covering both dimensions and therefore we can represent God in a special way because God is spirit. Um, and we can represent God in a way that the rest of creation cannot. Um, there are many more, of course, um, but I'm not going to get into them. I just want to sort of give that as a sampling of how we represent God in a, in a special way, but yet in a dependent way, in a limited way. Um, just one more thing I want to talk about in terms of being created in God's image, in God's likeness. Um, a statue is an image or a likeness of someone. A couple of years ago, I think it was in 2015, uh, there was a movement on the um, University of Cape Town uh, campus uh, called the, the Rhodes Must Fall movement. And there was a statue of Cecil John Rhodes, uh, quite a well-known British uh, gentleman, who played a big part in the history of South Africa, not always a positive part, but a significant part. And there was a statue of him sitting on the campus of, of UCT. And um, a lot of students, uh, and even I think some, some of the, the lecturers, uh, protested against uh, this Cecil John Rhodes statue as a symbol of apartheid and colonization and, and all those uh, you know nasty things um, and at some stage I think they they sort of uh, vandalized the statue I think they threw paint on it and even human feces and stuff on, on the statue and obviously what they were saying was very clear the statue which to them symbolized 
colonization uh, and everything that 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 came along with it um you know it it, it represented Cecil John Rhodes who who was behind many of those things and who sort of led many of those things and by vandalizing the statue they were basically saying what they thought about the person that the statue was an image of or a likeness of or that the statue represented and in much the same way when we disrespect one another, when we look down on one another, we are actually disrespecting God. There's a um, scripture in, in Proverbs that talks about this, that when you disrespect the poor, you actually are insulting his maker. And that's what makes something like racism such a terrible thing from a Christian perspective. Um, I don't know from other perspectives uh, how people uh, can say, okay, racism is wrong. But one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the Bible says racism is wrong is because people from all races were created in God's image. And therefore, if we look down upon them, hate them or discriminate them because they look different from us, we actually are insulting God in whose image they were created. So every form of racism is an insult to the creator who created those people in his image. And um, that's, that's how powerful it is that we were created in God's image. Now, here's a bit of a challenge that actually the, the devil, the snake, um, in Genesis 3 helps us realize it. Let me just read Genesis 3 verse 4 and 5 where it says, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, you will not certainly die. You know, in fact, let me read from verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, uh, We may eat from the trees of the garden. But God did say, um, You must not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, uh, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Uh, and then the snake answers, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot going on there. And I, I don't want to try and get too deep into that. Um, I mean, already Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And, and now the serpent is offering Eve the chance to become like God. But they're already, in a sense, like God. Um, but... What the snake is offering, and this is the crucial part. This is the crucial part. This is the the part that we tend to stumble over. The serpent is saying, and, and remember the serpent wanted to be God. Okay, So the serpent is saying to the woman, you can become like God without God. You can become like God without God. And as soon as Adam and Eve swallowed that lie they fell into the same sin as the serpent of trying to become God trying to replace God because that's what the devil did he tried to replace God and become God himself so actually we learn a very important lesson here from the snake from the serpent from which you can be very thankful we cannot and we should not try to become like God we shouldn't try and be like God without God if you're sitting with someone and you know, nudge them and tell them, don't try and be like God without God. God created us not only to represent Him, but to be dependent 
representatives, to represent him in a way that shows our dependence on him. We cannot be like God without God. We can only be like God with God and in a limited way point towards God. And we see this dependence in, in many ways. We as human beings are dependent beings. I mentioned that the previous time uh, as well. Um, first thing is we see that when God created fish, he speaks to the water. When he creates plants and animals, he speaks to the, to the land. When he creates mankind, he speaks to himself. Now, when you take a fish out of water, it dies. When you take a plant out of the ground, it dies. When you take us out of God, we die. And that's why God said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, trying to replace me, trying to sever the, the, the bond between us, um, then you will surely die. And the snake says to you, we will not surely die. And then we look at Adam and Eve, they eat of the fruit, and then they don't die. So was the snake right? No, obviously, remember, humanity, like I said, live on two levels. God created our bodies from the dust of the earth, physical uh, bodies. So we have physical life. But then he also breathed into us the breath of life um, in, in the sense that we have spiritual life. When our spirit leaves our body, according to James, uh, the book of James in the New Testament, we die. And likewise, in other words, when our spirits are separated from our bodies, we, we die physically. But when our spirits are separated from God, we die spiritually. And that's what happened here. And that's why Jesus in the New Testament can, for instance, say you know, to some other guy who was talking to him, let the dead bury their own dead. What does he mean there? Let the dead bury their own dead. So the second dead who are being buried are clearly physically dead. But the first dead who bury the physically dead cannot themselves be physically dead because otherwise they cannot bury. So he's saying let the spiritually dead bury their physically dead. So, so we see this. Uh, and, and that's why being born again, being born of the Spirit is is presented in Scripture as a resurrection, as new life coming from us. Because like Adam and Eve, we were created to be both physically alive and spiritually alive. But after they sinned, every descendant of theirs was born physically alive but spiritually dead. Now we're talking about representing God. And, and we've lost that spark of spiritual life which represents God uh, in the deepest sense of the word. I just want to look quickly in, in the last couple of minutes um, at this, this theme of representation. Actually, you can summarize the whole Bible with this theme of representing. Uh, man was created to represent God. Okay, Adam and Eve together as humanity were created to represent God. Man sinned by misrepresenting God and by Instead of representing God, trying to replace God. Okay? Um, you have throughout the Old Testament, you have priests and leaders in general, but priests specifically, who represent God, man before God. So um, Moses would go and represent the children of Israel on the mountain and receive the law, the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. Priests who represent man before God, would then sacrifice animals that represent man. So in that sense, the animals, because we have sinned and fallen and misrepresented God, we deserve death. But that death is given to animal representatives who serve then as sacrifices, who represent us, who take our place and take the punishment we deserve in our place. Until God can make a final solution. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. 
not only in the book of Leviticus, but, but throughout the Old Testament from Melchizedek, one of the first priests that are, that, that are explicitly mentioned, who makes a sacrifice through, you know, Exodus, you know, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all those books into the rest of the Old Testament when Israel go, goes into the promised land and beyond. We see this sacrifices, um, animals representing mankind on the altar. Uh, Israel represents the people of God. Uh, they were in captivity in Egypt, which represents the world, and were taken out and, and represents how God saves his people from captivity in the world. Uh, you have many individuals who represent the Messiah. You have Adam, who, who, who represents the Messiah. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, King David, all of them, and so many others uh, besides, represent the Messiah as sort of prophetic um, Types of what the Messiah will be like. He'll be a priest. He'll be a king. He'll be a prophet, etc., etc. Uh, so representation. The stones, tablets that the, the law was written on that Moses brought down from the mountain represent our hearts upon which God would ultimately write with his finger, his very finger, his law on our hearts. Uh, the temple represents us. Uh, because we become the temple of God, our bodies, and us corporately as the temple of God. But it also represents the heavenly temple, because Moses built it according to the pattern that he saw in heaven. Um, if you just think about Abraham and Isaac, you know, father and son, and how Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac uh, on the mountain, which was turned out to be Mount Moriah, where the temple was eventually made, the temple mount where, uh, where Jerusalem was built and where Jesus was ultimately sacrificed. And, and yet Abraham and Isaac represent God the Father and God the Son. And in many other places we see that same kind of representation as well. David, of course, represents Jesus as the Messiah. It's interesting, Saul was the first king of Israel and, and it says the Holy Spirit came upon him, but then the Holy Spirit left him. David was the next king of Israel, and it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then all the kings after that, it says they were anointed with oil, but it never actually says that they received the Holy Spirit until hundreds of years later, Jesus, the son of David, a descendant of David, when he was baptized in the waters of the Jordan, came up and the Spirit came down upon him in bodily form like a dove. And he was anointed and the father says, this is my beloved son. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The son of David, the anointed Messiah, the anointed king of Israel. Um, we have Jesus who, it says, is the word of God through whom all everything was created in, in John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God and everything was created through him. Nothing that was created was not created through him. And then it says in, in John 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became human. And, and here we see that Jesus perfectly represents both God and man. For the very first time, there is a, um, a, a human being who perfectly represents God. And his name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Um, and then, of course, he represents us by living the life we should have lived but could not. And then dying the death we should have died because we have misrepresented God. He represents us on the cross, takes our place and dies uh, in our place on the cross. Uh, and now the church imperfectly represents Jesus who perfectly represented God. Uh, and during this church age until Jesus comes again. And the old creation we are now living in 
represents the new creation which, which, which is to come and which will be completed one day when Jesus returns. So we see Jesus is the only human being who ever perfectly represented God. And here's the trick. He even perfectly represented God without God. Because he hung there on the cross at some stage and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, he still lived out the perfect holiness and the perfect love of God. Even saying, Father, forgive them. While they were torturing him to death. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Um, So he represented those who misrepresent God misrepresented God and he fulfilled our purpose you know by representing God perfectly and accurately and he even took our place and represented us in our punishment and and that's the gospel that's the good news and that's why we can now be like God but not without God with God we should be without God because we have sinned against God and God has to separate himself from all sin and all unholiness. But because Jesus took our place and represented us on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice, now we can imperfectly represent God, which should cause God to withdraw from us. But because he withdrew from Jesus, and Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will never have to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can imperfectly represent God. Even, uh, but not without God, with God, because God has now placed His Holy Spirit inside of us to help us. And that is the good news of the gospel. And that is a big responsibility that we have. Father God, we just come to you this, this day in Jesus' name and we bring ourselves before you. We thank you for the immense privilege that we have to be able to represent you, to not only be able to know you, And be known by you. But to represent you to this world. Lord we we confess that we fall so far short. Lord of representing you accurately. And we pray Lord please forgive us Lord. But thank you Jesus that you perfectly represented the Father. And even perfectly represented us on the cross. Us who misrepresented God. Thank you that you took our place. And that we can now be like God. But not without God. But with your Holy Spirit living inside of us. The same Holy Spirit that was hovering over the chaos of the original creation. And bringing order out of it. Thank you that you are in our hearts. And that you are hovering over our chaos. The chaos in our hearts and bringing order out of it. And in Jesus name we ask you for the grace to represent you well. Thank you for this privilege that we have. And thank you, Lord, that the more dependent we are on you, the better we can represent you to one another and to the world. Teach us to be fully dependent on you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.